Hey there, hi there, ho there. Welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. My name is Andy Sitto. I'm your host. My guest today is David Dondero, a great singer-songwriter, a, a, true, a true American treasure. Uh, he was named one of the best living songwriters by NPR's All Things Considered, alongside the likes of Bob Dylan, Paul McCartney, and Tom Waits. In good company, I would say. Uh, this episode came about because Nick Clark, my dear friend and, uh, and frequent collaborator who was on an earlier episode of this show, said, hey, David Dondero's coming to town. He's my favorite songwriter. You got to reach out and see if you can get him on the podcast. And I'd seen David before once at the Oriental Theater, and it was a killer show, and I became a fan myself. Um, but, but Nick was the one who said, hey, he's coming back. See if you can get him on the show. So uh, I emailed and uh and it happened so anyway i actually brought nick along for this episode this is the first time i've had a a co-host so to speak um and and i asked some of the questions and then i handed it off to nick and he asked some of the questions and and he asked a lot of really great insightful things and really struck up a great conversation with mr don darrow so i liked the format maybe i'll maybe i'll do it again bring on a, a co-host every now and then for certain episodes um, but anyway, I think it worked really well here. I was very excited to have David on. He also uh, played a song for us live at the end of the episode. And then he even invited Nick Clark to play with him at the High Dive uh, that evening after this interview was done, which was a few weeks ago. And Nick played harmonica uh, on a few of David's songs that, that he knows and covers. And it worked out extremely well. So... I don't know. All kinds of great stuff uh, sort of developed from from this interview. Really nice guy, uh, great conversation, and we were really happy to have him on. So I'm going to jump right into the interview. First, I want to thank our sponsor, PQ Mastering. Patrick at PQ Mastering out of Las Vegas, Nevada, puts the finishing touches on this podcast. For any of your audio or restoration needs, go to www.pqmastering.com for more information. Reach out, say hey, I listen to middle class rock star, and and I need some some mastering done. So I thought I'd I'd reach out, and uh, I don't know, I don't know what'll happen. You'll get something mastered probably. <laughs> anyway, let's go ahead and jump in with the episode. My mine and Nick Clark's interview with David Dondero. So we're uh, hanging out with David Dondero at Swallow Hill Music. Thanks to Swallow Hill for letting us uh, commandeer a classroom for an hour. Appreciate it. And thanks for coming and taking the time to hang out with us. Um, thanks for having me here. It's great. It's, I appreciate it. So we're, how far in on this tour are you? Well, it's probably going at about 20 years. <laughs> 20. Really, literally. Yeah. <laughs> well, because you 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 uh you were saying you don't really have a home address. You're sort of just on on the road most of the time. I am, and it's a hard thing to explain. A lot of people say, "Well, where do you live?" And I'll be like, "Well, I don't want to tell people I'm I'm just a glorified bum vagrant," <laughs> but <laughs> it's pretty much true. I live um on the road, you know. Um, 
And I live out of hotels or Airbnbs or the kindness of friends, you know? Like last night I stayed with my friend Alan in Denver. Nice. Fold out couch in his basement, which is pretty nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to stay with my friend on my friend Gretchen's couch tonight. <laughs> so try, thankful to the friends who put me up. You made a lot of, I, I would guess you make a lot of friends touring over the years. Yeah, there's a lot. I, that's why maybe I want to keep going because it's just I want to see my keep seeing my friends, you know. Yeah, yeah it's a absolutely. shame they don't all live in one city. But. And so you're doing the high dive this time around, and then there's a house concert as well, right? That's right. I'll go up to Fort Collins today and play at the Mouse House, and apparently it's their last, their last show. It's their last hurrah. So that'd see, be interesting. You better take it. You better burn the place down with you. <laughs> uh, so, do have you been doing a lot of house shows? Is that something you've done a lot of over the years? I've done house shows a lot. You know, going back to the '90s. You know, starting off with punk bands and playing in basements, and it's always been my favorite is playing at a house. Yeah, or a potluck or people bringing food, and it's not um, you know, a big deal getting in and. You know what I mean? It's, I, I prefer it's more a house show. Yeah. You know, I, I love, you know, obviously I play a lot of clubs too, but um, my favorite usually is a house. Yeah, more intimate. That's yeah. cool. Uh, so you were born in Minnesota, is that correct? Yeah, Duluth, Duluth, Minnesota, up by Lake Superior. And started playing music at a young age? I started off when I was nine, I guess, on drums. I was a drummer until I was 21, and then I started playing guitar. You started writing songs at that time as well? No, I started writing songs, well, lyrics. I got really into early hip-hop, like Nucleus and UTFO and those kind of bands, and I started nice. writing rhymes back in the um, early 80s in New, Jersey, in New Jersey. But at the same time, I was into, like, Bruce Springsteen, you know, Greetings from Asbury Park, because he... You know, he's he's kind of like a rapper, you know, and like Mad Men, Drummers, Bummers, and the Indians in the summer with the teenage diplomat, you know, <laughs> the dumps with the mumps as the adolescent pumps his way into his hat. That's rap, you know, yeah, just yeah. like, you know. Do you remember any of your your early rhymes? Oh, Back when you were God. Puko-rama. <laughs> I did a song called Puko-rama. 22 waffles with blueberry syrup, orange whip, fruit deep dip, glazed chicken, tuna fish, guzzle coke, eat a peach. I dread the day I hit the beach. It's coming up my throat. <laughs> Puko Rama, scorched throat drama. Anyway, that's awesome. That was one of my early hits. Yeah. So, so as a kid, when you were growing up, did you? What What were some of your activities? Was it you just start playing drums and that was the thing, or were you doing sports, or what was? What kind of a kid were you? I tried to do sports, and I was always really bad at it. And, um, but I tried, but I was, I was better at, uh, building model cars. I like to build model cars and airplanes and then destroy them and, um, <laughs> in car crash scenes. But I would also, um, play drums in my room is what I would do a lot of play, play along, play along to my favorite bands, like the police. I used to play along to yeah. Stuart Copeland was my favorite drummer with all his hi-hat work that he, you know, intricate stuff he does. Yeah. To little roles. What what was it that made you pick up drums first? Well, my sister played guitar, 
and I, she was two years older. And so I was like, well, I'm going to play drums if, if she's going to play the guitar. Complete the band a little bit. Yeah. And, and so what were some of the first bands you were in? The first band I was ever in was called Tear. We were a cover band, but we won the Battle of Bands in high school. Um, but then we were. In, then I joined Toe Jam with uh, Haas Laney. I was 16 and he was 35. We played some original songs. I was the drummer. Then I was in the Fat Stinking Belgian Bastards in in college. We were a trio punk rock band, and then be- became uh, O'Neills and then Sunbrain, and then nice. this bike is a pipe bomb. And is uh, at what point did you switch to guitar? Was that in Sunbrain where you? In swapped? Sunbrain, I did because I was the drummer for that band, <clears throat> and I but I wrote the lyrics for some of our original songs, okay. and I played drums. And I, w- I was never the best. I was kind of a simple drummer, but this other guy played the drums across the hall from me, named Steve, <clears throat> and he was great. And um, our singer quit, but I knew all the words because I wrote the words. So then I became the singer, and Steve took over on drums. And then I was given a guitar a year later. This friend of mine, he became a Franciscan monk, and he got rid of all his material possessions, and he sent an electric guitar to me in the mail, and that was my first guitar. No kidding. So were you just fronting the band then? I was just like a punk rock singer jumping into the audience. And you know, crawling around, and then, uh, then when I started playing rhythm guitar with Sunbrain, I I was that was like a change. I learned how to play the chords. And so what what uh, um, where are you living at at this point in time? At that point, I was um, floating between Clemson, South Carolina, and Atlanta, and Athens, and Myrtle Beach, and Winston Salem kind of drifting around because I worked for this soft frozen lemonade co- company and they had two factories one in Winston-Salem one in Myrtle Beach and then I work in the summer making this soft frozen lemonade and delivering it around to like the events in the southeast you know like football games and uh, golf tournaments sure. I'm the guy driving the truck and delivering that 43 pound <laughs> crates of the soft frozen <laughs> lemonade and then I'd be making it in the factory too you know Okay, so you're an expert. Uh, I mean, you don't just drink any soft frozen lemonade these days. Well, it was Freshers, which was Lemon Twist, but I don't know what they are now. (laughs) And so what was this in in those spots where you're bouncing between? Did you have a favorite in terms of the music scene there, and what was that scene like? I think the favorite that I had was when we were in Clemson, when we were in school, because we didn't have a music scene, and... No one took us seriously because we weren't uh, like Chapel Hill or or Athens or all the big music towns. So we had to make our own. And so we had a house and we had shows and we'd bring bands from out of town and we created our mu- our own music scene. And at one point there was some, and everybody had to make original songs to play at the house. So, you know, people were really coming coming through with the goods, you know, and trying to be original bands. And it was not a particular style. Everybody had a different style, and so it was a good scene, a different mix of music and, and friends, a, yeah. you know, in a very small town, because Clemson is a very conservative college town, 
and the bars they don't want original music they want cover bands and you know so that was kind of our catalyst we were all kind of congregated around the college radio station and and trying to make music it was cool and who was the first band you started really touring a lot with Sunbrain, but we didn't tour a whole lot. Not, I mean, we did. That was the first time I ever like went to Florida, and we actually got to go all the way from South Carolina out to Omaha, because um, somehow they got into us out there and through this record shop. Um, and then I went to New York City with Sunbrain, and that was really fun. But I really. Learned how to tour with this bike as a pipe bomb. Yeah. You know, Terry Johnson, the bass players, and Raimo D, they, they had, um, they knew punk rock and they started touring just on a whim without even a record out because they had Scott Stanton in the band originally, who was an ex pro skater. So they kind of like had a few songs and were like, hey, Scott, can you get us some shows at skate shops or whatever? And, and that's how they hit the road first, you know, and then playing, she owned a club in Pensacola, so knew a lot of bands that would come around. And so when I moved to Pensacola, I joined that band, and that was when I really got educated on how to tour DIY style, you know? Yeah. And were you guys picking up a fan base around the country at that time? With this bike as a pipe bomb? You know, I was part of that band. I I always call them like during the eat shit years when no one came to see them. Yeah. And it was like we would play a lot of shows and there'd be hardly anyone there and playing for, you know, some food or, you know, dumpster diving for bagels and, you know, at the Whole Foods, you know, back when before they locked the dumpsters, we would go and take food out of the dumpsters and do that kind of thing for our food and make minimal amounts. And we were traveling these huge gas guzzling crappy vans that are breaking down and, you know, but we made, it was an exciting adventure, you know, uh, I'm really thankful for those, you know, a couple years I got a tour with this bike as a pipe bomb. And that was what, what couple of years was that? This was like 97, 98. So then that, that was right before you started putting out, stuff under david dondero right yeah during during that time was a gap between sunbrain and um and uh this bike is a or what sunbrain ended in like 95 and then but i was still writing songs and as i was playing drums for this bike as a pipe bomb they started letting me open their shows you know some of them we we traveled a lot with like the devil is electric in operation cliff clavin um and this bike is a pipe bomb, and so they they would like let let me play first sometimes, and so I got to initially start, you know, and Terry at her club in Pensacola, Sluggo, she let me do like a Sunday night songwriter night, too, when I was at back home. So people would um, come and have to come with new original songs every week, and that that was that was good for learning how to do it, you know, learning how to play song original music. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so you started putting out your own records in 99. How long was it before? 98, you, actually. No, 98, excuse yeah. me. Um, is that, is that the, the Pity Party? The Pity Party, yeah. That came out Great first. Record. on, But that was done with a little bit of help <coughs> from Ghost Meat. Rec we kind of split the cost, Ghost Meat. And Ghost Meat was the guitar player from Sunbrain, Russ Hollower. He, like, 
started that label because Sunbrain got dropped from Grass Records and they gave us our last album. So he was like, well, let's just start our own our own little label. And that's how Ghost Meat started, was to, to put the last Sunbrain album out. And then he became kind of like an archivist and, well, he be not kind of like an archivist, he became an archivist of of Athens or, you know, local music doing Athfest. And, and he was one of those, the founding fathers of Athfest, I would say. And, and so that first, the Pity Party came out on that label? On that label, yeah. Very cool. And, um, and so then how, at what point did you start, did you start touring immediately as David Dondero at that point? I was touring even before, you know, like I said, opening for the pipe bomb and right. as David Dondero. Yeah. And I had like little mixtapes of songs that I was selling before that album came out. Um, so the CD, and back then it was like getting the CD out. It was kind of a big deal to get a CD, you know, it was like before people were burning easily and well, digital music had taken off. Maybe this is a really broad question, but I, what was the industry, the music industry like at that time, in the late 90s, early 2000s? Well, that w it was still in the old music industry, whereas record labels had power and money and stuff, and people were trying to get onto them, and it was harder to record an album. It was hard. You had to go to a studio and record an album, and it was expensive to put out a CD, and... I think it was more expensive at the time to put out a CD than to put out a vinyl record. And now it is um, the opposite. And, you know, booking tours was very expensive. You know, ringing up several hundred dollars in phone calls to try to book a tour, oh, sending wow. cassettes through the mail, waiting, you know, for to see if the person actually opened the package and listened to it. So you have to give it about a month or, you know. Did you shoot follow-up snail mail for gigs? If Sometimes, yeah. yeah. And and you have to, then you have to know the person's office hours when they're going to take the phone call. And it's a very kind of long, tedious process, booking a tour back then. Oh, and, man. And also no Google Maps or, you know, <laughs> so you have to get the direction from the promoter or, you know. Slowly find your way to the club and right. find a payphone if you can't, you know, that's how it used to be. But Well, for anybody that complains about the new music industry, and surely there's, I, I, I guess you can complain, but but that, I had never thought of that. That's I would be a hard way to book a tour. Um, yeah, and you think now you could book a tour via text, you know, um, pretty easily, and you can go ahead and record a record on your iPhone and you can probably book a tour and record a record in the same afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. put it out. <laughs> yeah. Put it out for the show. It's pretty wild. Um what is uh, what's been be some bit. of your uh you say you put out that that first record um what's been some of your experience <coughs> from that time and going forward with record labels and booking agent and management cuz there's been times when you've done that stuff on your own, correct? And there's been other times when Yeah, it's it's always been what I do is so, um, uh, it's um, uneasy listening, so it's not an easy sell for record labels. And and um, and it's been that experience with putting it out myself is 
or record label. It's it's never it's really hard to make any money for a record label and because um, it doesn't really sell very well, you know. And ultimately, a record label wants to make money back, you know. Um, so initially, with Ghost Meat, started putting it out. Um, we tried to do um, distribution and it kind of got clogged up with other releases and non-sales and bitterness. So he was like, pull the plug, like, I don't know if I want to deal with these distributors anymore. They're kind of, it was kind of shysty, the deal that happened. So then he pulled out of that and then just was like, I'm going to just be a label. And if you want to buy it, buy it straight from us. No distribution, no, no dealing with the record store. Just, you know, so that's what it ultimately became, Ghost Meat. And then... After that, I met up with Future Farmer out in San Francisco. Yeah. And initially, they were really doing good work, I thought. They were, um, Future Farmer got started their label from skateboarding money. You know, the guy Jeff Clint, who started it, was, um, he's the man who drew the Spitfire logo on a napkin. I don't know if you've seen the Flaming Head. Spitfire, yeah. like yeah, that yeah. was his design, and he worked for Deluxe Skateboards, and he also did like I think he did like Antihero and Consolidated, and he's dead. He passed away, but he was the founder. He the money backing Future Farmer was was Jeff Clint, and he was a sweetheart, you know. And he put out records like by like M Ward and Virgil Shaw and the Mother Hips, and, and a couple of my records. Yeah, you d yeah. Which ones? Because I know there was more than one with Future Farmer. Yeah, he they put out. Dennis Mitchell was running the label at the time, and and Jeff was like the money backer. They put out shooting at the sun with a water gun, and the transient, and live at the hemlock. Those three, and then Jeff passed, and things kind of went to shit, you know. Yeah, Jeff and Dennis were best friends, and it all kind of, you know, too many bands were signed, too many bands that s were signed didn't tour, the money ran out, and the thing kind of just went into a hiatus for a little while, or just was, it's still there, but it's not really, like, on full function like it was for the first couple of years. Sure. And for a couple of years, it was pretty good what they were doing. I thought. Yeah. Is, was there any specific album or song that's come out that you felt like really resonated with people more than others um, and, and really built up your fan base? Well, um, I don't know if there's a particular song that built up a fan base. But I, I would say the songs that maybe um, Stars on My Chandelier was a, you know, a strong song with people and you know, South of the South and the real Tina Turner, those kind of songs were right. seem to be requested the most yeah. you know, through people that come out. Sure. Well, and, and surely that, that all happens over time. Um, mm. You know, all the, all the songs and records to build up the fan base. I was uh, wondering if there was any, anything in particular that maybe gave it a, a little bump. Um, well, I guess that first album on future farmer was the, or the first and second album, the shooting at the sun with a water gun in the transient. 
those two records were really um, promoted heavily. And so I think those that's the reason why people know songs from those records. Yeah. You know. And now last time you were in town, or, or la- last May when you were at the Bluebird, uh, you were touring with Pedro the Lion. Um, yeah. What's, uh, what's your relationship like with David Bazan? Well, I've, I've known David for probably over 10 years now. Initially, really got to know him. We toured in um, the UK and Scandinavia. I was his opening act. And then um, later on, I went on to be his opening act when he was with the pas- Passenger String Quartet. We did uh, like 35 shows. You know, it was about five years, six years ago. And we've I've I've supported him many times through the years. He's become a good friend of mine. You know, when I go through the Northwest, he's always been um, seems like a brother to me. I love David. Yeah. You know. Uh, we talked about this before the podcast started, but uh, when you were back, when you were at the Bluebird opening up for David, uh, I got you to play a Vic Chestnut song that. I love Soft Picasso, and I was just wondering, uh, what do you look for in songwriters? You know, a unique voice, yeah, yeah. a uni- a unique way to like an individual way to play. You know, not following suit with what's popular today. Um, Vic Chestnut was one of those people. No one in this earth sounds like Vic Chestnut or play the guitar like him. Um, I saw him many times play and when I lived in Athens in the early years, and he was a huge influence on me. You Did know, you get to, to spend any time with him, talk to him at all? A few a few times I nervously went up and tried to talk to him, <laughs> but um, I, I didn't I didn't know him. I would yeah, go yeah. and see his shows, but I was I was like a fanboy going up to him, yeah, okay, you know, so. babbling <laughs> or some nonsensical <laughs> stuff to him, and he's probably like, get away from me, yeah, you know, what? but... Yeah. So but, I, I but just, I love I loved him. He yeah, was, man, he was awesome. Uh, so I I discovered him about like two years after he passed. I never got to see him live. Um, at like uh, uh, being a fanboy of of it, Chestnut, what was that like going to like his shows? Like, what was you know the the feeling getting to see that? You know, it was just it was pretty heavy. Like one time I walked into the Manhattan in Athens. This was the second time I'd seen him because I saw him once in Charlotte at a restaurant, like on a Sunday brunch show. And it was surprising because, you know, um, it was packed full of breakfast diners and he was in there, you you know, being wheeled in there. And and I was like, people were really put it back by him, you know, like he took over the whole place. And um, but then I walked into the Manhattan on a it was another afternoon show and it's just the feeling that he would put into the room it's like he commanded the entire room and brought you to a different place i just um it was it was a kind of a dark place sometimes totally, but it yeah. was uh definitely captivating you yeah know? yeah that comes across in his records um if it definitely feels like if I was to see him live, the energy in the room would definitely change. <laughs> um, but he was funny too. He had a yeah. He had a good sense of humor. Like I saw him in New Orleans, and some people like drunks were talking in the back, and it was. 
I always remember he said, y'all don't make me get up out of this chair and open up a can of whoop ass on you. <laughs> it's well, like, but that was pretty funny. Well, his thing, like I've, I've never seen somebody done, um, balance the two so perfectly having such a heavy s- subjects and then having like a pretty intense sense of humor all in the same song. I've never seen, um, <coughs> you know, that, ever that's pretty intense and i i figured listening becoming a big fan of your music i figured you would be a, a, a at least a big fan <laughs> vic um I'm a huge fan yeah um uh i want to you know i want to ask a couple questions about songwriting but the one of the things i want to i get that most songwriters get it done by just you know getting up writing and you know throwing away what isn't good and then keep on keeping on but when i listen to your songs um you know i don't hear songwriters i mean i do hear songwriters but i hear writers like just like authors and and people outside of music and you're writing a lot like with like a song like south of the south and stuff like that there's a heavy literary um hand into that that's that type of songwriting and I'm, i was wondering like who uh are writers that you love and look up to well i love um i loved henry miller and jack kerouac and ginsburg and i loved um you know um rimbaud and i loved um James and the Giant Peach by, what was that? Oh, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the author that wrote that as a kid. Sorry, you got me. <laughs> Currently, I like um, Mishka Shubali. I don't know if you heard of him. No, no. What, what, what has he uh, written? I Swear I'll Make It Up to You. Yeah. You should you should go and read that book. Well, it's dude, really good. Uh, I just picked up a... Uh, Roll Doll, James and the Giant Peach. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Roll Doll. I just picked That's up... That's an author uh, I loved as a kid. Air Condition Nightmare, and I'm excited to, to get into that book. It's like my first Henry Miller book. I'm excited. I feel like that might have been a precursor to On the Road or something, you know? Um, oh, I... So, yeah. I don't... Like, because I, I know it's like him I traveling mean, around, but I, I've, I don't know what to expect. I've read a little bit of... It's like Miller. America's first On the Road when the roads were just being built. You know, oh, it's the air conditioned nightmare. Yeah, yeah. And I then Kerouac came out with his on the road. Yeah, yeah. It's Henry Miller's. <laughs> <laughs> Henry Miller's on the road. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, you got your Phil Oaks going on lately with your new batch of songs. Um, heavy uh, political. Um, I forget. Oh, yeah. But it's just like songs like Easy Chair and uh, Presidential Palace of Pornography. All these songs are amazing, well-crafted songs, but they're also they're really taking a hard, uh, you know, fine tooth and nail to the current administration. I wanted to know um, how important is it for you that an artist uh, comments on political or world events? Like use their voice to speak uh, about the issues going on. 
I think it's incredibly important to speak speak your mind about it. I think it's more important than voting to vocalize and and not worry about what people think. I think people should express their opinion on what's happening now, especially the the crazy shit that's going on. It's like um a lot of songwriters I know like in Nashville they they don't want to they don't want to you know rock the boat or they want to play it safe and they 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 worry about losing audience because of expressing a political opinion I feel like fuck that man you got to <laughs> you got to say what you need to say I think it's important I don't think it should worry about losing audience or you know it's it's it, you have to stand up and say something totally because maybe at least make people think about it. You know, I play for a lot of right-wingers in some of these bars I go to, you know, and I'm like, come on, let's talk about it. You know, at least bring it up in a dialogue. A lot of them don't want to talk about it. They just give you the finger and walk out, you know? It's like, well, instead of giving me the finger, how about giving me a reason why you support it? Yeah, yeah. You know, give me me a valid reason why you, you support a racist you know <laughs> yeah, yeah why give me a valid reason why you support someone who gives tax breaks to the rich you know yeah. give me a valid reason you know <laughs> <laughs> why you lock kids up in cages at the border yeah man you know give me give me a valid reason for this yeah yeah you know uh, what's the trade is it is it that important you know yeah. to have a rich white man in the white house yeah just to feel like just to feel validated money. yeah you know anyway That's so yes <laughs> i i think it's fucking important yeah, yeah. it's um it's more important than anything right now yeah. to talk up about it everybody talk up about it and have a dialogue cuz obviously the news sources want us to be in conflict you know cuz it sells advertising yeah yeah so the only reason to get the only way to get past those is to talk with each other you know yeah i it, it's been yeah, I am. pretty uh, consistent in your writing. Like even from uh, your first record, Pity Party, there was a about the Columbine shooting, and then pre-existing condition is about the healthcare system. And these, when I saw you play at the Bluebird, all these new batches of songs, still well, really well crafted. But they also, it was very refreshing to see that somebody just go out and speak their mind. And uh, I don't know. I really appreciate that. And um, thank you. I have uh, maybe one or two more questions, but um, I I do search out songwriters that uh, are unique, but I also I I definitely look for people that are honest. And you know, I'm a big fan of Vic. I'm a big fan of a uh, Daniel Johnston, guys like that. And and you are, I would say, like those guys, you're super honest with uh, with your lyrics. Um, are you, uh, how do you feel about, you know, putting these super emotional songs out and consistently for, you know, since the late 90s um, and have people like complete strangers hear so much about you, you know, how do you deal with that? Because I, I, I would assume some people may, even if they never met you, just through your music, feel like they know you. 
I think it, I guess it's easier to, I mean, I, I could uh, equate that to somebody like Mishka Shubali, who I just listened to for 18 hours in the car, and I'd never really met him. Yeah, well, I yeah, met him yeah. once, and then I felt like I knew him, you know, and I yeah, showed yeah. up at his door in Phoenix, and I was like, and he was like an old friend, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was an instant friend of his. So if um, if I can affect somebody in that way, if they can connect to the songs like that, we probably w will be instant friends. Yeah, but yeah. some people might, maybe they might misinterpret something or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. they think, you know, something that was written 15 years ago is how I feel now. Totally, yeah, yeah. But sometimes it is. Some of the songs that I wrote 15 years ago, I don't really feel anymore yeah yeah but most of them i do still yeah yeah um just depends depends on the song but i would be glad that if if people have listened that much that they feel like they know me i'd be flattered yeah yeah you know um when me and andy first saw you it was at the ogden about three or four years ago oriental 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 yeah yeah um and you you opened with alcohol and you and you talked about uh, getting sober and quit, <coughs> quit drinking and all that. And mm -hmm. um, I've seen you a couple times, like at the High Dive and then at the Bluebird since then. And uh, you seem to be not just with substances, but just overall, your health is uh, a little more, it seems a little more um, prominent and a little more, you know, something like you're taking care of. What do you do to stay healthy when you're on the road so much? Well, I was lately. I haven't been doing <laughs> doing the <laughs> yoga like I should, but uh, I try to walk as much as possible. Yeah. If I get to a town, get time to kill, I just walk, man. I just I'll walk like five miles, go do a big loop, and try to see the town, and just walk and walk and walk. Yeah, yeah. And if if it's really nice or something, go swimming or go try to enjoy the day, see things, and walk and swim and move around get the blood flowing totally. do some yoga in the hotel room um try to eat eat good but lately i've been neglecting i've been eating donuts and you know going wild <laughs> wild with the donuts and ice cream i gotta you know sometimes i go on these binges of yeah, yeah. sugar when did you get into yoga i was, when i met my friend laura in uh, virginia she kind of got me into it taught me how to do the postures and yeah yeah positions and that that was helpful you know and breathing and meditation i'm starting to tap into trying to meditate a little more yeah yeah and uh work on my breathing and you know uh are you working on a new record with these uh these new batches of songs that you this new batch of songs you got i i believe we just finished Finished. I've been working with Dan Potast in Santa Cruz All right. yeah, yeah. at his apartment. His wife and him live in this place, and it's they got a he's got a setup there. And we recorded a new album. It's going to be called um, "When the Pendulum Swings." That's a great song too. And um, yeah, he just sent me a mix of this song that was in question, and now I think it's it's done. So we have all the songs. Nice. It's ten songs, and it has to be mastered. and mm -hmm. And I'm working. Uh, my friend Peter Orr 
Sneaky Pete in uh, New Orleans is doing a painting for the album art. Oh, sweet. And, and we've been kind of going back and forth on that. Nice. Do you know, do you have a rough idea of when you'll be putting it out? Roughly in the summer, I hope. Okay. But um, we'll see. Just get everything in place. I don't want to rush it too much. Yeah, yeah. I want to make sure it's all right. Um, so. When I, I bought um, Inside the Cat's Eye mm-hmm. uh, the last time you were at the high dive, and I put it on the next day, and immediately, this is just personally, there was um, it was a... Uh, a, a sense of like calmness throughout the record even though there's serious subjects on it there's um, other records seem to have like a harder edge but this one is a, a calm more relaxed record to me and I, I was wondering if um, you find yourself more confident in what you're creating now th- than you did you know in the early 2000s I feel it's more relaxed if you're sober and you know your material yeah you you know the songs and a lot of times in the past maybe i'd i'd you i'd get drunk or try to get to the optimal drunk level or optimal drug level and you're you're like competing with the balance of your own system combined with these other um substances and i think it created some dissonance in the presentation of the song you know, with your own self, I feel like uh, being sober is a—it's a more, con- you know, yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah. you're able to find that calm place. Nice. Did and it's, did you feel that while you were making the record a little more um, calm and confident in in the songs you were doing? Yeah, I feel. Although it was, um, it was the start of sobriety. That record. Yeah. It was um. That was a live in the studio album with overdub by of of piano only yeah, piano yeah. and vibraphone um who are i I don't know if you've ever gotten this question, but I think your uh your guitar playing is pretty I know it's um simple folk stuff, but there's like even like on a song like uh, rock bottom there's a pretty fun uh grooving aspect to that guitar part um who who inspires you with the guitar hmm <coughs> that's a good question <laughs> ja- Nick you've got a lot of good questions jazz music I, I listen to a lot of jazz music but that's not jazz that yeah. guitar part but um I'm not a jazz musician but uh that guitar part is kind of fun to play you know, and, um, it's a straightforward rock, rock and roll, I would say. Just think about it. I'm trying to think about that. I haven't thought about that record in a while because I don't play a whole lot of song. I may play one or two songs off that album and I don't really touch it that much. Is there a reason for that? Well, it's kind of a dark, it's got a dark cloud hanging over that album because John, the bass player, he passed away. Yeah. He ki- he killed himself. Like, the day after I I was there in Austin to master it with with Doug. And that, so that's, there's always like kind of a dark, 
a dark cloud hanging over that album. Right. Sure. Yeah. Well, before we wrap things up here, I wanted to ask, is there anything, is there anything in your career that you really want to do that you haven't had the opportunity to yet? Hmm. That's a good question. I'd like to go to Japan or go to, um, just see, see the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah. Countries I haven't been to. Yeah. I'd like to go to Iceland. I'd like to go to, um, Poland. I'd love to go, um, to Vietnam and Senegal <laughs> and, you know, like, Anyway, I'd be, love to go a, a lot of places. Be an even more well-rounded traveler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, there's, I haven't hit the African continent yet, and um, or Far East. So, hopefully, yeah. someday, I'll be able to go. Absolutely. Go to India. I'd love to go to India someday. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah, we're gonna get a. I'm gonna. I will pause the podcast so we can reset the mics real quick, and then we're going to get uh, David to play us a song. And I want to mention, too, that we'll have links where you can find his music and see where he's playing in the uh, liner notes of the podcast as well. So, David, thanks for, so very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, David, for doing the podcast. Thanks, Nick, for helping me co-host. I sure appreciate it. Thanks again to Patrick at PQ Mastering for all that you do. If you like what you're hearing, rate us, review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or anything else like that, shoot me an email at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. We're going to play it out uh, with one of David's original songs, Laying at Your Feet. All right. Thanks. We'll see you next time. All right. I'm going to do Laying at Your Feet. Have you heard that one? Oh, yeah. yeah. So. Laying at your feet While you play a piano Elegant and sweet Your profile left a shadow on that weird painting of the kid with bangs that you found in the Ozarks Well, I'm glad you finally got out before it got too dark Well, I hope I find a goat By my son at a thrift store or a bird with a beetle on a tree Now that would be a big score Well, I'll send you to below, honey, baby, from Florida But it probably won't be to below, honey Probably be Anything sweet like melted snow cones, whatever else is in between. I don't know. Walking in the sun. Looking up at the branches of the canopy of green.
the aerial bird dances well i don't know how they follow each other so closely something about the magnetic pole the compass in their brain again i don't know <laughs> well i hope the pain subsides and you continue your improving and strengthen all your ties and live a life that's soothing cause you're strong as a lion in that painting you restored in kansas city the one from the circus so meticulously your sculptures are on par with the finest in this whole world the alligator gar with his teeth replaced with pearl with the ace of hearts on a pedestal of cards or the wolverine with a box to reveal its heart the years we lived and died must extend the hyphen Man, the time does fly As fleeting as the bison 